Today I wanted to say to you, uh, here's my heading, relax. You are supposed to be different. Don't get all concerned about it. No, you have been called out. You have been called to be different, set apart. But I'd like to start off today by asking you a few questions. So are you okay with having a quick questionnaire? Yeah. yeah? Okay, everybody good? Good. All right, here's the first question. Because this questionnaire is going to show something about you that I think you have, to, you have to make peace with. The first question is, is there a God who is in fact three, but all the while at the same time one? Three equals one. Do you believe this? Okay, good. Wow. Did, did God become a man? Do you believe this? Do you believe that a young virgin named Mary became pregnant with God's child? Do you believe that? You have already died. Then you rose from the dead and you are now alive in Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe this? Did Jesus walk around on the ocean? Do you believe Jesus died, then came back to life, then traveled up to heaven on a cloud? Do you believe that Jesus will come back one day riding through the sky on a white horse? Do you believe this? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think we have found a very strange, different, peculiar group of people right here. And I think that uh, you have to be okay with being identified as that. Because in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it says, But ye are a chosen generation. Ye are a chosen generation. God chose you. A, a royal priesthood. That's what he chose you to be. You are a priest. You're sitting next to a priest, but not just some ordinary priest. You are a royal priest. And then he says, a peculiar, well, a holy nation, a peculiar people. A very strange people. Believe a lot of very strange things. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's called you. You're going to be evidently very strange and peculiar, different, set apart, in order to show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of the darkness into this light, this illumination that you have of eternal things. Eternal things. So I want to emphasize royal priesthood. I want to emphasize peculiar people, a group of very, individual, uh, very strange individuals. And I want to say, relax, you are supposed to be different. You are supposed to be peculiar. Truth of the matter is, being peculiar is not the problem here. Normalcy is, in fact, the problem. So you ought to be looking at the world going like, man, you're so strange. You don't believe Jesus is coming back riding through the sky on a white horse? You don't believe this? That is very strange of you. You don't believe Jesus walked around on the, on the ocean? Well, that's very weird of them, isn't it, that they wouldn't believe this? I mean, we are talking about God, are we not? In God's economy, normal is broken and must be saved. Peculiar is what pleases Him. Most people 
justify the way they live by saying, well, you know, we must be okay because this is what most people believe, like I believe. Well, we must be okay because this is what most people think. This is what most people do my age. Therefore, I must be normal. Well, if you do not do, or let me say it this way, if you do what normal people do, live like normal people live, you will end up where normal people end up. So the question I have for you is, can I do what everybody else is doing, enjoy what everybody else is enjoying, indulge in what everybody else is indulging in, and still have God do great things with my life? The answer is absolutely no. Unless you are set apart, unless you are different, unless you are peculiar, unless you do not fit in, how is God going to do great things in you and through you? So this is a call to weirdness. A God kind of weirdness. God is calling you. And He says it's time to be a peculiar people. So of course, if you say, well, my life is very normal, well, then there are a lot of warnings in Scriptures for everybody who actually believes that. If you say, well, I fit right in, well, the Bible has many Scriptures that speak to that position. And I want to start off with what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, Jesus is the gate. We see this. He is the gate. He is the way. He is the road that leads to life. How many of you can see this verse showing that the road leading to destruction, in other words, the, the road that, that is normal, leads to destruction because many go this way. But the road that leads to life is not the norm. Few people go that way. So what I want to do is I want to say this as non-critical yet as truthful as possible. That if your life looks no different from the world around you, if your life looks no different from the norm of the day, if you fit in pretty good and comfy in today's world or in any generation's world, then it could possibly be that you are not on the narrow road that leads to life. Paul says, don't go about affirming people's salvation. Go about calling them to test themselves to see if, in fact, they are in the faith. That's what he told us to do. Most of the time, and I'll just point to myself, I've been in the ministry since 1992. If you have a calculator, pull it out and figure out <laughs> how long that is, but that's a long time. And for most of my ministry life, I believe it was my job to walk around telling people you're safe. Pray this prayer. Say these words. Quote this off to me. Make these statements. Good, you're saved. You're going to go to heaven now. It's almost like I was like a, a Roman Catholic priest and I was going like, all right, come on, recite this prayer with me. I don't have a bead. Just recite it, okay? <laughs> you're going to be okay. You're okay. Yeah, but I don't feel safe. Yeah, but you're going to be fine. But I don't think I know God. Yeah, you know God. Just the devil's lying to you. Now, I'm trying to convince people who probably aren't saved that they are saved. Because I'm doing something the Bible didn't tell me to do. He didn't tell me to go about affirming people's salvation. He told me to go about telling people, hey, listen, test yourself to see if, in fact, you're in the faith. And here's one. How comfortable are you in fitting in to this world? 
Are you on the normal pathway which most people are on? If not, in other words, if you're not on the narrow way, but you're on the wide road, then I would like to invite you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because He has called us to walk through this narrow gate that only a few walk through. A life that seems very different to those who do not follow Christ is a life that has been set apart unto His purposes. So throughout Scripture, God calls people to do things that are very different from the norm. As a matter of fact, if you remember, you know, He goes to, let's say, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, and He says to King Jehoshaphat, so the way people usually do war is they put their military in the front, and then when the military wins, then the choir sings glory hallelujah afterwards. But I want you to turn that thing around. I want you to put the choir in the front, and I want you to go to battle with these guys singing. And uh, watch me give you the victory. That's a very not normal kind of thing to do. I'm sure you will agree. Imagine he tells the leprous king to go wash himself in the dirty river. This is a king. Why doesn't he just heal him? No, he wants him to go to the dirty river and, and dump, dunk himself seven times. Jesus heals a blind man. But not in a normal way. Not the way you and I would heal him. <laughs> No, he, he spits into, into mud. He makes mud. He spits into dirt. And he rubs this dirt into a person's eyes. Every time God did something, he chose to do it outside of what was normal at that time. It hasn't yet become normal since, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it wasn't normal. Then it's not normal now. It's straight up strange. In the same way, God is calling or He's ready to do something through your life. But I can tell you right now, it will not happen with you trying to be normal. It will not happen with you trying to be normal like everyone else is normal. It will not happen to you trying to be milk toast, half-hearted, half-baked, comfortably meshing in with the world, same old, same old as the rest as everybody, as everybody knows, same old, same old. You see, there is a custom-made, God-kind-of-different future awaiting for you. But it's going to require some things from you that the norm normalcy doesn't fit. For instance, uh, you know, I'll give you one because I think this is one that most people struggle with. is to be alone. It's to be alone. I was thinking about it last night, preparing. It's like wondering what everybody else is doing right now. <laughs> no, but apart from that, like, can you be with the Lord? And do you realize that oftentimes this is His providence, this is His strategy. He's actually putting you by yourself where all you have is your own thoughts. And all you are able to do is trying to think without, the con without constantly being convicted over come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ. Become productive, become fruitful in the kingdom of God. Do something for God. And then boom, here's another birthday. You go, oh! <laughs> when, you, when you reach like midlife or you cross that little line and you go, man, I've got less years ahead of me than I have behind me. I, I better... I better do something. I better do something. And let me tell you, it's not going to be the normal thing. It's not going to be the norm as known in this world. The normal thing, let me keep going, 
So I challenge you today to leave the normal road. The normal road is busy. Too busy for God, that's what's normal. The normal road is like, yeah, I don't have time to jump into the Word. That's what's normal. What is normal is I'll tell you what is normal. You can go around to the basketball courts and the football fields and the soccer, court, soccer fields. And you'll, you'll see what normal is on a Sunday morning. That's normal. God is calling you to not be that. Normal is to make self the top of a priority list. Godly is to make self basically the last one on there and God the first one. Maybe you're in an ungodly relationship. And you are ready to get off of that normal highway that leads to a lonely life and great regret and much pain. Because that's where that leads. You can't think that you're going to be in an ungodly relationship ending happy. No, an ungodly relationship always ends with you having a nest of thorns. You wonder why your life is so painful, lonely, dysfunctional. It's because... You've chosen today's normal mindset when it comes to ungodly relationships. Or maybe your marriage is like most marriages. Most. Do you realize the, the divorce rate is 54% in the United States? 54% of people have already been divorced. So that's a large number. But I, I want you to imagine, okay, so how many people are almost divorced but not quite yet? How many are just unhappy but choosing to not, to not get divorced? So to find happy marriages is far and few between, right? It's not, it's not often. It's, it's not the norm to have a healthy, functional, happy, fulfilling marriage. Maybe your marriage is like most marriages, worn out, cold, lonely, and disrespectful. Never feeling welcomed in your own home. And you already see that change. You are ready to see that change in your life. And you are ready to have your marriage become the testimony of what is possible when you give yourself to scriptures. You are ready to have your marriage become the testimony to show what is possible to those who need hope in their marriages. Why can't your marriage be the testimony? That's different. That's very different. Maybe you are the biblically illiterate person, as the majority of self-proclaimed believers are in the United States. I love it, you know, like when, <laughs> when you see people go like, you have a conversation and somebody's trying to show you how much Bible they know. And they come up with like, yeah, you know, God helps those who help themselves, right? It says that, you know? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> whatever, you know. That's so what I usually do is when somebody makes a, a dumb statement like that, I always, I shouldn't say this because now you'll know. I always say, well, that's interesting. Because <laughs> I don't want to like, like <laughs> depending on who it is, of course, you know. Now I'm going to have to find another statement. Now everybody knows, well, that's interesting. <laughs> You think I'm an idiot? No, I said it's interesting. <laughs> Maybe you are as biblically illiterate as the majority of self-proclaimed believers are in the West, and you are ready to make a change. 
and you're ready to give up that ignorance of the, of the Word of God and start Bible, taking Bible study serious, taking the Word of God serious, I'm amazed at how we trivialize Scripture. But in fact, really, that's all we have, right? The Word of God, Scripture is inerrant. There is no error in it. The Word of God is infallible. It does not fail. Whatever it says it's going to do, it's going to do. Think about all the hundreds of prophecies that actually came to pass because it is infallible. But here's what... The, okay, so most of the church believes that today. They believe that the Word of God is inerrant. If you go to all of evangelicalism in the United States and you say, is the Word of God inerrant? Oh yeah, there's no error in it because the Bible says your law is perfect. But what about, is it fallible? No, it's infallible. It will never fail. But the thing that people are departing from is this third truth about Scripture, which is that it's sufficient. To many Christians now, the Word of God is no longer sufficient. Even to ministers, to denominations, the Word of God is no longer sufficient. Because we are a progressive generation. We are a progressive world, and they, they think we are therefore um, beyond the archaic ways of ancient Christianity. They think we are now beyond that, and we have greater light. No, we don't. That's the only light we have. It is inerrant, it is infallible, but it is absolutely sufficient for life and godly living. Maybe you are, an apathetic, you are apathetic about the things of God, just like everybody else, and you are ready to no longer be like the rest of the apathetic Christian world around you. But rather decide to start drawing lines, drawing lines, like I stand for the Lord. People need to know you as the person who always sides with God on every issue. Don't ask him. He's going to give you a scripture. <laughs> go to the psychiatrist instead. Until you meet the guy, you go like, no, this is the guy that needs help. <laughs> Have you ever seen a psychiatrist that didn't need, look like they needed help? <laughs> it is very important for us to wrap our minds, hearts around the idea that the Word of God is sufficient. We don't need woke ideologies to make us more aware of truth. No, the truth is already framed, boxed in, called the canon. God's not boxed in. His word has been given to us in a canon, which is closed. You may wonder, how did some people become so different? How did some people become so separate, set apart, so peculiar in a God kind of way? How did that happen? Well, I want to show you how it happened for David. How David describes what caused him to become different Set apart from everybody else in Psalm 69, verse 9 through 12. Psalm 69, verse 9 through 12. He says, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible here. He says, My zeal for God and His work burns hot within me. Verse 
My zeal for the house of God is eating me up. It is the zeal of God that burned within him. And then it says, and because I advocate your cause, because I draw lines, because I proclaim your will in every situation. David was that guy God's calling you to be. You follow what I'm saying? David's that guy that you couldn't go to and say, hey, by the way, you know, what do you think we do with this? He goes, oh, well, the scripture says. David was that guy. And David says, my zeal for God and his work burns hot within me because I advocate your cause, because I draw lines. Your enemies insult me even as they insult you. So here's why the world sees you as abnormal. Because of your zeal for God and the things of God. That's why. While they're passionate about their own dreams and their own visions and their own grandeur and how great they're going to become one day and what they're going to build one day, you, on the other hand, you're passionate about what God wants to do in your life and through your life for His kingdom. It's very different. It's a very, very different life. You're on a complete different track, going in a complete different direction than the world. They're passionate for things very, very different from what you're passionate over. While they committed to their personal gain and their personal enjoyment, you are, on the other hand, you're committed to seeing the kingdom of God being established. While entertainment and the world excites them, you get excited over things in the kingdom of God. You're on a different track. You're going in a different direction. You have different values. You have different loves, which is, in my estimation, the number one way of knowing whether somebody's saved or not. Check this out. All of, um, all of your goals ultimately... Well, let me say it this way. Your priorities serve what? Your goals in life. My priorities that I have in my life, I have certain priorities throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, and this year I have priorities. These priorities that I have serve my ultimate goals. I want to get there at the end of 2024. So here are my priorities in order to get me there. So what I'm saying is, when your loves change, let's say you become born again today, suddenly the things you used to think is foolish becomes Great. Greatest wisdom you've ever seen. Things you didn't have any regard for becomes your first love. So your goals change, and because your goals change, it's obvious, it's natural that all of your priorities will change because your priorities serve your goals. So the number one way to know if a person is saved is they have brand new loves. They love other things now, and now they dislike things they used to love. Why? A stony heart was taken out, a heart of flesh was put in, a heart of stone cannot love God, but the heart of flesh cannot but love God. His loves change, therefore his goals change, therefore his priorities change, therefore it's easy to see a person that's on a different track. 
peculiar, different, set apart. Suddenly, this person's okay with spending an hour in prayer all by themselves. When in the past, they couldn't, they couldn't spend a night alone without feeling like they're, they're failing at life. Look at verse 10. It says, How they scoff and mock me when I mourn and fast before the Lord. There he is. He's busy praying and they think it's a joke. How they talk about me when I wear sackcloth and show my humiliation and sorrow for my sins. He's repenting and they go, like, Why are you repenting for that? <laughs> Have you ever been in a group and you're the only one in that group feeling convicted over what you guys are doing? You go like, you know, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be here. Come on! No, I shouldn't be here. Come on, it's not that. It's not really. Who's getting hurt? <laughs> like, who's getting hurt? You see, to set something apart is in fact how something is made holy. To set something apart is in fact how something is made holy. In 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. <coughs> Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. When we think of God being holy, what do we think of immediately? Well, generally speaking, if you ask that question, what does it mean that God is holy? People will start talking about God's moral perfection. Well, He's pure. There's no sin in him. He's absolutely perfectly righteous. He's, he he's all, always does the right thing. Now, all of those things are true, but that is not the primary definition of God's holiness. The primary definition of God's holiness is his otherness. The primary definition of God, you can see it like a coin with two sides. The one side, the primary side of God's holiness is God's otherness, God's separateness. He's altogether different. This is why we say God is holy. He's not like us. He's different from His creation. He's separate from His creation. He's not like the gods of the pantheists whose gods are in creation. In this tree, in that rock, in the God is not in stuff. He is He made stuff. He's outside of stuff, sitting outside of above his entire creation. His creation subject we to at Christ time. Nation He's hope outside you found of this that. message meaningful. Sitting above it all. Please feel free Separate. to share it with anyone that Different. you think needs to hear it. We hope there you can no join us soon like for a Sunday experience. God. For more information, please visit www.christnation.tv Thank you holiness and God bless you. Is in fact the fact that he is morally perfect. And when we are told to be holy as he is holy, we are primarily being called and told to be separate from the world, different from the unsaved, unique in that sense, nothing like the norm. And secondarily, we are called to moral purity. But when you are separate, when you are called out, moral purity becomes the result of you being called out. So who are these people who have a zeal for God? 
who live not for this world, but who live separately, who live ho- Who are these people who live holy? If, if, let me see by show of hands, how many of you believe that you need to be more holy than you are? Yeah? Every person. The person that didn't raise his hand <laughs> isn't sure, uh, uh, doesn't have a clear view of themselves, right? And the reason we don't have a clear view of ourselves is because we don't have a clear view of God. Now, I've gone through this, but I'll do it again. The person that thinks he doesn't really sin much is the person that, that thinks God isn't all that holy. The person who doesn't, well, they've got two problems. They don't realize just how holy God is. They think God is good and I'm pretty good myself. They think, secondly, that by the way, I didn't sin against God. I stole his $5. I didn't steal God's $5. How did I sin against God? Well, that's the secondary problem. First, we don't know who God is. That's why we don't think we're all that bad. And secondly, we don't realize that every single one of our sins is against a perfectly holy God. Why? Because we are made in His image and His likeness, and we have been called to represent Him right here on this earth. You are to reflect your Father. I mean, we, we sin a lot more than we realize. Did, when you read through the Bible challenge with us, did you see how often they gave offerings for unknown and unintentional sins? Sins they didn't even know about. Here's my offering, Lord, for all those sins. I'm not even feeling guilty over for right now because I didn't know that I, can, I, didn't even know that I committed them. God is so holy and so perfect. By the way, second-year students uh, will be starting this Wednesday. Can you believe it? If you haven't yet signed up, for all those who graduated in 2022, make sure to sign up for second-year class, okay? This year, so we're going to start with the attributes of God. One of the things about the attributes of God is that we only study what is known as the communicable attributes of God. The communicable attributes of God are the attributes of God that, that... that can be communicated to a human mind. God is so much beyond that. He's so much greater than that, bigger than that, more perfect than that, more holy than that, more separate than that. But uh, he's, that our eight-pound brain, we can't grasp. We cannot fathom the glories of God. There are, are some attributes that have seeped through and we're able to see them. But we cannot see God in all of His glory until that day. And that's what we'll be studying. That'll be the first part of our second year course. But why are these people who have a zeal for God, who are they? Why are they the way they are? Who are they who live not for this world, but separated unto God? Now this can be a very big subject, but I wanted to put it into a nutshell this way. They are people with a different mindset. In other words, they see things differently. They have a different mindset. Their mindset is not temporal, is not earthy, is not worldly. Their mindset is Beyond that, they see eternal things in this moment. Like here we are. 
We just sang a hymn that has five verses. I couldn't believe it. My arms started getting so tired. I'm like, okay, five. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a long, but you know what? We, and, and somebody goes, why would you do that? I, we see the, eterni- the eternal values that it's speaking of, and it resonates with our hearts, and we are moved by it. We are drawn by it. We are humbled by it. By those truths. Well, that's not my style of music. By those truths. Because why? There's an eternal mindset that sees things as others don't see it. So what I want to do is I want to give you three signs that shows that you may have a temporal mindset, a temporal mindset. Then I want to give you three signs that shows that you have an eternal mindset. Because it's the people with an eternal mindset whose hearts burn for the things of God. It's the people with an earthly, temporal mindset who has no fire in their heart for the things of God. No zeal. That's why they're not different. And so, here are the three signs that you may have a temporal mindset. Number one, if you are filled with the cares of this world. In other words, if you are letting your heart be troubled... By this world, you have a temporal mindset. John 14, verse 1 and 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You are trusting God. Now trust me too. There are many homes up there where my father lives. And I'm going to prepare them for your coming. When everything is ready, then I will come and get you. So that you can always be with me where I am. If this weren't so, I would tell you plainly. But this is true. He's preparing a place for you. Now, if that was your mindset, in your home, on the job, everything else becomes trivial. You don't fall apart because your boss is having a bad day. No, life is eternal, actually. And this moment matters then. Now matters then. That's why my now is inspired by what I know then is all about. You're going to stand before God. And that's an eternal mindset. That changes how you respond here. And that changes how much skin you have in this kind of game. Like, something doesn't work out here on this. It's okay. This isn't all there is. You haven't lost it all. (laughs) Right? So the first sign that you might have a temporal mindset is that you are filled with the cares of this world. You're letting your heart be troubled. The second sign that you may have a temporal, earthly, worldly mindset is that you are tormented by a covetous heart. I mean, a covetous heart torments people. That's what somebody told me. I've never experienced it. (laughs) Strategizing to gain the things of this world all day long, even if it means one has to give up families in order to gain fortunes. People do it. 
the covetous heart will sacrifice the, the, the spiritual for the material. Now let me say it a little bit more precise. The, the covetous heart will sacrifice the scriptural for the material. Number three, third sign that you may have a temporal mindset is that you have, or you are crippled by a double mind. You are crippled by a double mind. Always in a double mind about stuff. Saying I'm living for God, but my priority list, checkbook, and calendar proves the contrary. My reality, nobody can actually, nobody, nobody can, has any evidence of me saying, I'm living for the Lord. <laughs> so I love when people sing such great praises to God and how they consecrate their lives to God. You know that you can sing certain things that if you had to say them in this world, you, let me say it this way, you could rap certain things that if you had to say it, you'd get arrested. But you can rap it, you can sing it, that's okay. You notice? <laughs> the same way. It's easy to sing. I give you my life. I give you my all. Oh, thought I love you. And then we have to go and live that. So the third sign is when you're crippled by a double mind. Saying that you're living for God, but your priority list proves otherwise. So let's look at the three signs that you may have an eternal mindset or that you do have an eternal mindset? Well, first is if you are a person who, number one, identifies with their heavenly citizenship over their earthly one. They identify with a heavenly citizenship over their earthly one. As an immigrant, I can tell you, citizenship really determines identity in a big way. And, of course, politicians are attempting their absolute best to get people to identify with gender, with skin tone, with language, with origin of birth. And they, they, they're attempting to put people into groups and then show you just what a victim you are and now you're part of everyone. I'm like, wait a minute, you dress nicer than me. Like, I don't understand this. But... They're attempting to get you to identify with a million different things other than what you ought to identify with, and that is, hey, where are you from? Whose are you? <laughs> and we, Christ's nation, the reason our church name is that, we're from everywhere. Because God has, he's, Jesus said, I have sheep that's not just of this fold, but a sheep of another fold, and, and I'm... I'm going to gather them. Interesting thought. He didn't come to look for goats that he could turn into sheep. No, no. He came to find his lost sheep. That's what he came to do. Some of them were part of Israel. Others were from the Gentile nations. Identification. What is our identification? Our citizenship of heaven. I am Hevanian. I'm from, the, I'm from heaven. That's where I'm from. And those, those are for most part, those are the ultimate, the, ultimate, the ultimate culture I'm part of is Hevanian, right? That's what we're part of. 
And that's what we have to identify with. And if you can identify with that, you can get over a lot of these things that the world is attempting to inject. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 4 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. How real is heaven to you? How real is this eternal perspective to you? Because the more real it becomes, the more trivial earthly problems are to you. You won't get bowled over, blown away, crippled, laying dead just because somebody didn't like you. you know, people, people fall apart these days because somebody criticized them. I used to have a very big problem when somebody criticized me on Facebook or the internet or social media. Now it's like, it's funny, I'm gathering those statements. <laughs> you have to get to the point where it, it actually really doesn't affect you, but it only affects you because your mind may, might be too temporal. So a sign that you might have an eternal mindset is that you've identified you with the heavenly citizenship, of, heavenly citizenship over your earthly one. Secondly, you may have an eternal mindset if you are a person who prioritizes kingdom responsibilities over personal ambitions. Kingdom responsibilities over personal ambitions. These people are different. They are peculiar. They set apart. They live. They have a set of loves very different from the world or from nominal Christianity, which is basically part of the world. Why? Because in Matthew 6.33 it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, prioritize God's kingdom and your responsibilities in God's kingdom. Prioritize those before personal ambitions or personal rights. Eternally minded People seek first the things of God long before they become entangled in their own agendas and other agendas in this world. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each one esteem others better than themselves. Let each one esteem others better than themselves. In John, 1 John 2.15 and 17 it says, Do not love this world, nor the, things of this, nor the things it offers you. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. I mean, that right there, we don't necessarily have to go much further. That's a real uh, wrap over the knuckles. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. What an indictment. What an indictment. For the world offers... Only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, the best question to ask ourselves is here. What do I consistently give up and sacrifice to see God's kingdom thrive? What do I consistently give up and sacrifice to see God's kingdom thrive. 
So to see if you have an eternal mindset first, it's because you are a person who prioritizes or identifies with a heavenly citizenship instead of an earthly one. Secondly, as a person who prioritizes kingdom responsibilities over personal ambition. But thirdly, it's the person who values scripture over emotion. And this is where we will land. The person who values scripture over how they feel. Today, people can't think. Well, people think and people feel, but they get those two mixed up. They, they believe they were thinking when, in fact, all they were were feeling. It's like, well, I, I feel. And they come up with the most craziest, craziest ideologies and principles and policies only because they felt a certain way thinking that they, believing that they thought through it, but they didn't. If you are a person who values Scripture over emotion, it's because you're eternally minded you know that those scriptures are inerrant, infallible, but also sufficient. You don't need anything extra biblical to know the truth, to have the truth, or to build your life on truth, eternal truth, than scriptures. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the question is, what rules you? Are you ruled by Scripture that is Spirit-filled? In other words, are you led by the Spirit? Or by how you feel? Most people get up in the morning, and from the moment they step out of bed, they do everything based on how they feel. For most part. They follow feelings. But no, you are peculiar, you're different, you sit apart, you function in a different, with a different perspective and mindset that is eternal, and you walk according to scriptures. That's how you're led by the spiritful scriptures. Instead of just doing what, what you felt like doing. There's a single distinction of a holy, separate, God-fearing individual with zeal. Then it is the person who can and will say no to their flesh. It's the person who will and can, can and will say no to their feelings and their emotions and instead say yes to the scripture that's objectively looking at them. Because that's the other thing. People interpret scriptures based on how they feel about God. No, you interpret scriptures based on the natural author's original intent. What did he mean when he said what he said? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He did not think about basketball games, right? <laughs> he did not think. His intention was not how you were able to, yeah, get into the NFL. No, 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 no. You're 55 years old. Give it up, <laughs> right? Ain't going to work. So I'll leave you with this. God calls you today to be holy as he is holy. He calls you today to be different, to become more as he is to shine forth His glory, to be His image in this world, His image bearers. But that would require for you to be separate from the world, which He is reflecting His glory into.
And if you have an eternal mindset, there's so many decisions you can make right now, whether it be about your marriage, whether it be about your parenting, whether it be about your financial life, whether it be about all the relationships that you have. But ultimately what you'll see happen is your goals. Your goals are formed and fashioned around your convictions, your loves, and your priorities will serve them. Let's pray. Father, today, I know that there may be some who say, well, Jacques, I think, I feel like I'm on the wide road leading to destruction. I am not on the narrow path that leads to life. I, I basically do my own thing, and I'm just hoping for the best. I prayed a prayer once when I was younger. I recited a, a prayer, and, I, and I'm just hoping that that will be enough. If you are hearing this and you're saying, that's, that's you, that's you, and you have in your heart a desire to be right with God, let me tell you, folks, that desire did not come from you. That desire did not come from hell. That desire did not come from Satan. If you have a desire to be right with God, that desire is inside of you now because God decided for you to have that desire now. He touches our hearts. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears. He gives us a heart of flesh. And if that's you, that's God calling you. That is God calling you. You might say, Jacques, I don't love God perfectly. Well, guess what? Nobody does. I don't repent perfectly. Well, nobody does. Repent for not repenting perfectly. There you go. But if you are, let me put it in two categories. If you are not right with God, And God has called you. Guess what? You will want to be right with Him. Second category. If you are right with God, you want to be more right with Him. There's not a person who's right with God who doesn't yearn to become more as He is, to become more holy as He is holy, more separate as He is separate, more different as He is, more other as He is. Our hearts cry, Abba, Father. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. Know that God didn't throw you away. That's why you desire Him. Know that God is not abandoning you. That's why you desire Him. If you didn't have any desire for Him, that might be a sign that you have been abandoned. But you are not. So the way to come to God is to turn from self. Turn from the idea that you have done enough good, that you have chosen to do more good than bad, that you will one day qualify before God because you are trying hard enough, or you have found some other way to be right with God. There is no other way to be made right with God other than through Jesus Christ because He's the only option we have since He is the only perfect Lamb that can be used as a sacrifice for our sins.
So the way to make right with God is to turn from self and from sin and turn to God in faith. How do I turn to God in faith? I turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. I say, God, that which you did 2,000 years ago to save men is enough for me to be saved. I put my faith in what you have done. Having faith does not mean I grab onto something. It means I let go of things. I let go of my self-righteousness. I walk away from it. And I turn to Christ and I say, if you don't save me, I will never be saved. You are my only hope. And you are the author, the finisher of my faith. In other words, you start my faith. You give me faith. And I believe with the faith that you give me. And because of that, you make me right before God. In myself, it is impossible to be saved. But with God, this is possible. Another word that we use for turning away from yourself and turning to Christ is the word repent. So turn today and just say to the Lord, Lord, I turn to you today and I put my faith in you. I pray you save me in Jesus' name because I know in, within myself I'm a wretched sinner like the tax collector. And finally, if that's you, if you are turning to God, if you're coming back to God, it's a road. Salvation is not a destination. It's a direction. Turn to God and don't stop. Get into the Scriptures. Get to know God and learn to love Him. Amen. 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 Did you get something out of the Word today? Amen.